The Democrats and Satan are working together to try to overturn Texas's new anti-abortion law. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, Clavin, you living carnival of wit from whom satirical ideas pour forth endlessly like clowns from a Volkswagen, hilarious and yet subtly seductive, so that we laugh even as we engage in secret and slightly twisted fantasies involving you and a leather-lined room, but perhaps that's too much information. But no, I'm not making this up. All right, I'm making up the part about the leather-lined room. That's just a personal thing. But the part about Satan and the Democrats is actually true. Democrats are in a panic about the Texas law which bans abortion after a baby's heartbeat can be detected. And so they're cheering for the satanic temple which is challenging the law on the grounds that it restricts their religious practices, namely the doing of evil. The Democrats and the Prince of Darkness issued a joint statement in a flaming ball of burning souls that scrawled these words in hopeless darkness on the face of human despair. Quote, The results of the Texas bill will be catastrophic allowing thousands of babies to be born alive instead of torn to pieces in the womb and sold for parts, as the Democrats and Satan both prefer. These dreadfully living creatures will proceed to cry and keep us awake and crap on everything, all of which could be avoided by simply killing them, as both Democrats and the Dark Lord feel is best. Therefore, Satan and the Democrats have decided to join together to protect what Satan calls the deliciously unholy slaughter of innocents. And the Democrats call women's health care, unquote. The Satanic Temple marked their attack on the Texas law with a hellishly clever illustration on their website in which the Satanic goat's head is superimposed on a woman's loins so that the goat head replaces her cervix and vagina and the curling horns become her fallopian tubes. I'm not making that up either. Democrat communicators admired the image as a succinct expression of both Satan and the Democrats' plan to transform the mothers of mankind into demonic instruments that will enslave men to their goat-like desires. The Democrats even briefly considered replacing their donkey symbol with the goat symbol, but ultimately figured what difference at this point does it make. Though some say Satan took action against the Texas bill in a cynical ploy to position himself as the next Democrat candidate for president, the father of lies denied the charge, saying he preferred to continue working with the Democrats behind the scenes and had no political ambitions because he felt he couldn't improve on the politicians already in office. That said, Satan did continue his attack on the Texas law in this public debate with an actual unborn child. Come back here. You're not a human being. I am. I am a human being. For crying out loud, look at me. No one can see you. Hold still, you piece of tissue, you. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! Trigger warning. I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky. Life is tickety-boo. Birds are winged. Also singing hunky dunky dee Ship shaped ipsy topsy. The world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day. Hurrah, hooray! It makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray! Oh, hooray, hurrah! All right, we are back laughing our way through the midst of the fall of the Republic. That video at the end with Satan, I, I know I've promoted it before, but I have to mention it. Uh, it was one of the, I think it was the first video I did for the Daily Wire, if I remember correctly, and they were so shocked by it, they wouldn't put their name 
on it. So, and, and YouTube does everything they can to cover it up. It, it's only got like 12,000 hits or something like that. And it's one of my best videos. Find, you can find it on YouTube at Clavin and Parent, Planned Parenthood. That's what you search for while you're at it, working on your computer, drifting through the internet. Don't forget to go on Apple's podcast and subscribe to the show and give us a five-star review. If you like it, if you don't like it, lie and give us a five-star review. Anyway, you also want to be in next week's mailbag. It's stuffy, but you can get all your questions answered. Uh, just subscribe to dailywire.com and go to watch or whatever it is, find my podcast. And there's a little airplane, paper airplane. You press on that. You can ask me anything you want. You can ask about religion. You can ask about your personal life. You can ask about politics. All my answers are guaranteed correct and will change your life. And you may wonder, will they change your life for the better? And you'll find out. Boy, will you ever. Uh, also subscribe to Andrew Clavin's station on YouTube. We've got, uh, exclusive content there, stuff that is not on the show. Uh, if you press that little bell, I will deliver it to your house personally. Uh, you want to count your silverware after I'm gone and also leave a comment. And if your comment is sufficiently racist and sexist and bigoted, we'll include it on the show because no one will be able to tell the difference. Today's comment is from one out of one who says we need to silence Clavin and the Babylon Bee to stop their satire from becoming reality. That is actually true. I mean, I, I, I tell you, you get tomorrow's news today. That's not what I meant. And of course, the Babylon Bee, you know, the Babylon Bee, they're the second best satire on the Internet. Why should you use ExpressVPN? The same reason you don't turn your kid over to a stranger. I do. I can't get rid of the little creatures. But you don't because you want to protect what's yours. And every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, your online data is not secured. Any hacker on the same network can gain access to and steal your personal data, your passwords, your financial details, all of it. Today, it doesn't take advanced technical knowledge to hack someone some cheap hardware is needed, and a smart 12-year-old can get it done. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN creates a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the Internet so that hackers can't steal your sensitive data. Not only is it incredibly secure, but it's also super easy to use. If I can use it, you can use it. You just fire up the app, click one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN works on phones, laptops, tablets. I've got it on everything I've got, all my devices, and I've got a lot of devices, and it's good, easy to use. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash Clavin. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Clavin. You can get an extra three months free, expressvpn.com slash Clavin. You say to yourself, he tells us how to spell express. We know how to spell express. How do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So tomorrow is 20 years uh, since 9-11, a 20-year anniversary since we were attacked by Islamist terrorists who murdered 3,000 people, destroyed buildings, left Manhattan in an uproar, undermined our economy, and swept us into 20 years of war. And as we look at America 20 years later, it really is easy to conclude that we were afraid of the wrong people. We were afraid that Islamist terror was an existential threat. I don't think, as it turns out, it was. But the left in the country... Uh, who were revealed in that moment, at least to me, uh, did turn out to be an existential threat and have got us on the ropes. This is a really bad moment for America. It's a slump. 
If the slump continues, it'll become a decline. We have to hope that doesn't happen. But we look around. We just, after 20 years, we just surrendered to the Taliban. Completely unnecessary. Whether you thought we should go or whether you thought we should stay, we could have done either one with honor. We could have stayed with honor. We could have left with honor. But instead, we surrendered in an absolutely cataclysmic act of just incredible stupidity and incompetence. Uh, yesterday, our president and venal houseplant, Joe Biden, unleashed these insanely authoritarian regulations. I mean, the left is terrified that a baby in Texas might be born alive. They feel that that is a terrible uh, imposition on their civil rights, but they're cheering for Biden, who just declared that through basically through Labor Department regulations, through OSHA regulations, that any business with over 100 people can now should now mandate, must now mandate that they get vaccinated. These businesses are supposed to tell their employees what they put in their bodies. And he, he made this speech just an incredibly ill-spirited, mean, bullying, maundering speech. Uh, this is cut 18, just one quick cut. This is not about freedom or personal choice. It's about protecting yourself and those around you, the people you work with, the people you care about, the people you love. My job as president is to protect all Americans. So tonight, I'm announcing that the Department of Labor is developing an emergency rule to require all employers with 100 or more employees that together employ over 80 million workers to ensure their workforces are fully vaccinated or show a negative test at least once a week. So, so you got that. It's not about freedom, but we're not going to bother Congress with passing a law or anything like that. We're just going to do it with the deep state. We're going to regulate it. This is something that Biden said just recently. Uh, just about everybody in his administration said they weren't going to do because it was authoritarian. It wasn't their business. Here's a clip of Biden saying that is clip 17. No, I don't think it should be mandatory. I wouldn't demand to be mandatory, but I would do everything in my power. Just like I don't think masks have to be made mandatory nationwide. I'll do everything in my power as the president of the United States to encourage people to do the right thing. And when they do it, demonstrate that it matters. So what changed? Well, the economy is uh, slumping and Afghanistan is a mess. And I think Biden's popularity has dropped to, I think it's six people now approve of the job he's doing. Uh, most of them don't speak English. So, you know, nothing against people not speaking English, but that explains why they're still supporting him. So he's in a panic and trying to make it seem as if he's doing something about a disease, which he's not doing anything about. Defiance is coming from all over. I'm glad to say states are threatening lawsuits and our own God King, lowercase at the Daily Wire, although he could almost elevate maybe some of the middle letters could be elevated to uppercase just for this action alone. He has sworn like all of us, like Ben, like me, we all think you should get the vaccine. You know, if your doctor says you should get the vaccine and you're not in a risk group, we all believe it's been effective and safe and you should get it. Uh, however, that doesn't mean the government has a right to tell you what to put in your body, which is just a, an insane idea and a insane authoritarian idea. Here's part of uh, the God King's statement on this. We've already watched for over a year and a half as Americans have ceded liberty after liberty to wannabe tyrants like Anthony Fauci. They broke our economy. They locked us in our homes. They destroyed our supply chains. They crushed our small businesses. They massed our children. Enough. That is enough. So the answer is no. No, the Daily Wire won't be enforcing Joe Biden's petty tyranny. We've already retained legal counsel, and we're prepared to go to battle with this administration to put an end to their unconstitutional bullshit. 
We hope other people and other businesses will join us. If they do, great. If they don't, that's fine too. There's got to be a line. And for us, this is it. So Joe, hard pass. (laughs) So I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm always thrilled when the Daily Wire behaves like this. And I hope this is an opportunity because one of the things that's been happening over these last years is the deep state has now reared its head, has basically said, no, you don't get to vote on presidents. We get to tell the president what to do. This interagency consensus is more important than the people you elect. This would be a wonderful moment for a conservative Supreme Court to gut these mothers out to just take the deep state and just say, no, you know, you've got to pass laws and then those laws can be challenged in court. But all of this, all of this is part of a growing atmosphere of fear and weakness that has been with us and growing since these 20 years, since 9-11. And part of this was George W. Bush, the kind of security state that grew up, buildings that never before had you uh, inspected. You now have to be inspected for carrying bombs. The, getting on an airplane is like going to prison. I mean, I have been in prison, and the security you go through to get into a top security prison is is like, feels like what you go through when you get on a plane. I just got back from a brief uh, personal trip to California. I had to go back to see an old friend uh, over the weekend, and I was stunned. I've only been gone from California for two or three months, and I was stunned at the level of irrational fear that that state in in L.A. and uh, the environs is experiencing. The laws and the rules are like you come into a restaurant and they insist you put on a mask to walk from the maitre d' table to your table where you take the mask off. That's pure kabuki. That's pure show. It has nothing to do with keeping you uh, safe. And we've become acclimated to this kind of fear so that people think it's all right to be locked up because they might catch the flu and even die of the flu. I mean, if I if I choke out on the flu tomorrow and I'm one of the at risk people, though I am vaccinated, if I choke out on the flu tomorrow, I'll still say the same thing. I do not take it back. Uh, This is a, a terrible way to live. I mean, life is dangerous. It's always been dangerous. It's less dangerous now than it's ever been. We have to be able to live. And this atmosphere of fear has just been growing and growing. And the thing about it is, it's all show because unvaccinated illegal immigrants are coming across the border in their thousands and nobody's doing anything about it. Nobody's saying anything about it. Nobody's covering it. And you're actually more likely to be killed in some Democrat cities by a gangster with a gun than you are to die of COVID. So all of this is kind of a show. In fact, in San Francisco, I heard they will pay you $300 not to shoot somebody. So I'm going to travel out there and just say, you know, I didn't shoot anybody. Give me 300 bucks. But, you know, as if that sort of lawlessness weren't enough, and I'm just talking about the landscape, the moral landscape we're in since in these 20 years, since 9-11. Antifa is taking over the streets of cities, of Portland at least. It looks like the Weimar Republic there. The police do nothing as they have riots. And all of this is taking place with the collaboration of big business, which basically is pushing their woke agenda Big media, big social media pushing a woke agenda. They will knock you off Twitter if you say that a man can't become a woman, which is just a fact. If you say that the science about climate isn't uh, settled, which is just a fact. For telling the truth, you get damned and demonized. So while we were worried about these Islamist radicals, we should have been worried about these guys because we don't, you know, they call us the Taliban I call them locusts. I call them locusts because they eat what they haven't sown. They devour without creating anything. They take our money, but they don't make anything. Many people listen to The Daily Wire and they say, Michael Knowles, (laughs) we didn't use ZipRecruiter. 
That's how you get employees like that. Now, the lockdowns of the last year and a half have created a pent-up demand for places like gyms, nail salons, and hotels. And we've been trying to get Michael Knowles to go to work in all of them. But the problem is they use ZipRecruiter. When you post a job on ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 job sites, giving you access to their network of millions of job seekers. And they use this matching technology, which scans resumes to find qualified candidates. This is where Knowles loses out. They find qualified candidates for your open roles and proactively present them to you. You can easily review recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job, which encourages them to apply faster. Right now, Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire, but you have to be smart enough to know how to spell Clavin. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So what happened? What happened? And what does it have to do with 9-11? Well, I want to just... I'm going to ramble a little bit about 9-11 from a personal point of view, what it was like. I know we all remember it. uh, Those of you who are old enough to remember it, I remember, I'm so old that I remember it in the same way I remember where I was when John F. Kennedy was shot. I remember every moment of that day. I remember every moment of this day. Here to remind you from our friends at uh, MRC, the Media Research Center, is a, a brief video of the coverage. This is clip 13. There's been some sort of explosion at the World Trade Center in New York City. Oh, another one just hit. Something else just hit. A very large plane just oh. flew directly over my building, and there's been another collision. I, I'm, I've never seen any... It looks like a movie. I saw a large plane, like a jet, go immediately headed directly into the World Trade Center. It, it, Katie, I don't want to alarm anybody right now, but apparently there, it, it felt just a few moments ago like there was an explosion of some kind here at the Pentagon. There's actually, oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! We're not sure exactly what happened, but it was another explosion on the far side of one of the buildings from where we're standing. One of the two towers of the World Trade Center, the upper floors, collapsed. This after this apparent terrorist attack this morning. These two 110-story towers, there you see it, just collapsing into the ground. You know, so many people uh, lost so much, their lives, uh, their their friends, their family, uh, that my loss was absolutely nothing. But I want to talk about it just because it was symbolic. One of the things that was happening to me in that moment is a major movie uh, was being made of one of my books. And it was set to release in three weeks. And it's called Don't Say a Word. And it had become kind of part of the culture, like comedians on TV were making jokes about the ads. And it was very exciting for me. And as I was sitting there on TV, wide-eyed like all of us, watching what was going on through the smoke and ashes, I could see kind of poignantly the bus cards for the movie uh, in New York, the advertisements for the movie. And I turned to my wife and I said, I guess there's some things more important than your career. But it was kind of symbolic because this marked the beginning of the end of my Hollywood career. I was uh, working at that point as a screenwriter uh, in a few, uh, right around that time, I started to do quite well as a screenwriter. And I did a whole video about this, talking about why uh, my, my career, my Hollywood career ended. But the short version is I started making noise about these anti-war movies that Hollywood was making while our soldiers were in the field. And I started writing about that. I started to complain about it sometimes in meetings. I refused to uh, demonized George W. Bush in the course of conversations and pitch meetings. That got me thrown out of pitch meetings. And ultimately, you know, I started to write about this. A lot of it 
some of it was for the LA Times, some of it was for other venues, but a lot of it was for City Journal, a terrific magazine uh, where I am a contributing editor. And I wrote this long article called The Art of War, which was about how war movies had changed and how patriotism had gone out of uh, the movie business. And while I was doing the research, I was watching one film called Back to Batan with John Wayne and Robert Montgomery. And I noticed that in the credits for Back to Batan, they gave the rank, the military rank of the actors. Now, John Wayne was never in the military. That haunted him his whole life. But Robert Montgomery was. I think Anthony Quinn was in it. And they just told them what they had been doing in World War II. And it gave them a kind of authority. And while I was looking at that, I thought, I have to go to Afghanistan. I have to go to Afghanistan because I'm writing about the fact that the left is attacking our soldiers in Afghanistan, making movies about them, portraying them as rapists uh, in a, a film called Redaction, portraying the CIA as torturing uh, innocent Muslims in a film called Rendition, portraying the army is fools being manipulated by evil Republicans and lions for lamb. One movie after another that didn't make any money, but they kept making them because they knew it would give them prestige to attack the government and to attack our soldiers and to attack the people who were trying to protect us. And I thought, I have to go to Afghanistan to see what's going on. So I arranged it myself for with City Journal uh, backing me. And uh, it's the kind of thing I'm very bad at doing, you know, getting papers, getting my visas and all that stuff. But I did go and I, I wrote an article you can still find on City Journal called Five, five Days at the End of the World. And the five days I was I must have been gone for 10 days, but five of those days were spent being stuck in travel. I remember I was late getting to the uh, forward operating base where I was going and I. In that day that I missed, the soldiers were attacked. And I remember hearing about it on the phone and thinking, gee, I missed, I missed the shooting, which I think was maybe the stupidest thing I've ever thought. But it was this thought of a writer who wanted to see what was going on. But anyway, it, 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 what it did was it confirmed two things for me. It confirmed that we would never build a civilization in Afghanistan. The place was, is not a country. It's just a bunch of tribes. I didn't think we were going to win. I didn't think we should stay. I thought that Obama was wrong when he said this was the right war and Iraq was the wrong war. I thought he got it just the opposite uh, of right. But the other thing that I was impressed by was how important in these missions, in these military missions, the goodwill of soldiers is, the goodwill of, of the local people for our military is, and that was why, that was why Hollywood was doing the wrong thing. Uh, you know, this, this is called what they call information operations. They used to call it propaganda. And I wrote this thing saying, you know, leftist movies portraying our tr troops as reprobates and fools may not make it to the wilds of Nuristan, but you can bet they make it to the headquarters of our enemies and give them encouragement not to mention ideas. And I really went after Hollywood uh, in a big way after this. And so eventually my, my work dried up. But this is why. This is why. It was because of reactions from the left like this. Let me show you. This is also from that uh, MRC video. This is cut 14. You think they know where Osama bin Laden oh, is and it's hands off? Absolutely. Why? Absolutely. Because he's funded by their friends in Saudi Arabia. He's back living with his sponsors, his benefactors. And now we have over 5,000 innocent civilians die because we were cowardly when it came to our military personnel. We have been the cowards, lobbing cruise missiles from 2,000 miles away. Absolutely. That's cowardly. That, that is a Staying in the airplane yes. when it hits the building. Say what you want about it, not cowardly. Know. Bush was responsible for a lot more death, innocent death, than, than bin Laden. Uh, wasn't he, or, or am I wrong here? Radical Christianity is just as threatening as radical Islam. Americans are puzzled over why so many people in the world hate us. We seem so nice to ourselves. They do hate us, though. We know that. 
and we're trying to protect ourselves with more weapons. Might be better if we figured out how to behave as a nation in a way that wouldn't make so many people in the world want to kill us. That last cut, that's Andy Rooney. You probably don't remember him. He was a commentator on 60 Minutes. That last cut, that attitude, that it was our fault that we were attacked, that was what drove me nuts. That was what made me feel I had to say something, even if it cost me this part of my career. And it cost me a lot of money. I'm not going to, I'm not going to joke about it. I mean, it, I'm not going to lie about it. It was a lot of money that I lost, uh, when I lost my Hol- the Hollywood end of my career. But that idea was insane because as human beings, we're no better than anybody else. All human beings are steeped in sin. All human beings are twisted and corrupt. We are the keepers of an idea of a Western idea that has made the world a better place. Our idea is a good idea. The ideas that come out of uh, America and the West, the idea of the individual. And all of these ideas are under attack. The idea of the individual, as I, I said last week, comes out of Catholic theology. It is built by Christian theology slowly over long centuries. This idea that you are an individual with dignity and with the rights, uh, with certain rights, and yet now we were suddenly being told that Christianity was against the individual and the West was somehow hampering the individual. The liberty, the, the idea of liberty, that an individual should be free to decide whether he gets a vaccine or not, uh, to, to make his own decisions and the government should be restricted from, res, the government should be restricted from restricting the individual's freedom. That too, that also came out of Western thought and Christian thought. And now we were be, being told that Western thought and Christian thought were the bad things. Tear down the statues, get rid of the religious people. They're making, uh, they're making us slaves when it was really religion that made us free. So everybody wants to protect his or her home. And you have, you might have a weapon in your home. You might have all kinds of things, but if you don't have a good alarm and security system, it doesn't help. With my ring alarm security system, I am much more at ease whether I'm on the road or at home because with a ring alarm, ring alarm equals peace of mind. You can protect your home with the ring alarm. It's a powerful, affordable home security system that you can easily install yourself. It works seamlessly with other ring products in one simple app. And you can just, whenever somebody comes to your house, you can look on your app and see who's there and talk to them and connect with them using the ring security system. So even if you're just lying in bed and you want to know what's going on around your house, you can look at it. And if you're lying in bed in another city, you can do the same thing. Protect your home anytime from anywhere with Ring Alarm. Go to ring.com slash Claven for a special offer on a Ring Alarm security kit today. You can build a system that's right for your home and have it up and running in minutes. That's ring.com slash Claven. Ring.com slash Claven. Anywhere you are, someone comes to your home, you say, how do you spell Claven? And if the guy knows, just call the cops. Christianity gave us science. You know, this is an important thing. I'm going to have a guy on, I'm reading his book now, and I'll have him on in a couple of weeks. But it was the idea, you know, the Greeks who were famous for their reason. They didn't invent science the way the Christian West did. The Christian West did because they thought not only that God was reasonable and could be understood, but they thought that God was free and he could do whatever he wanted. So in order to figure out what he was doing, we had to look at it. We had to study it. And that's where the idea that became science comes from. That too was a Christian thing, and suddenly we were being told that Christianity was anti-science, and we don't know what we're talking about. We have done many bad things. We're doing them right now when we abort children at the rate of 3,000 a day. We're doing very, very many bad things that we will answer for before the throne of God. But these ideas were better than the Islamist ideas, and the Islamist ideas were bad, right? And we see this now as the Taliban is t- 
taking back Afghanistan and all, you know, they're doing horrible things already. They're killing women. They're just uh, destroying the freedoms of women. And the State Department is issuing statements like, well, you know, we're afraid their new government is not diverse. That's <laughs> not diverse. You know, uh, Peter Ducey was asking, uh, I think, Jen Psaki about this. Is cut six? There are now more terrorists wanted by the FBI and the new Afghan government than there are women. Does the president think that is a foreign policy success? Well, first of all, no one in this administration, not the president nor anyone on the national security team, would suggest that the Taliban are respected and valued members of the global community. They have not earned that in any way, and we are not. We have never assessed that. So, so you know, the the reason they can't have women is because a woman's work in Afghanistan is never done. She's so busy dodging bullets that they can't really ha- they don't really have time for government. She's got to you know cook. She's got to clean. She's got to take care of the sheep and dodge the Taliban who are trying to kill her for trying to be a free pr- human being. So that's why they're not in the government. A, you know, they have a good reason. But the thing is, I couldn't help but notice that. I had been out of the country for seven years, but right before 9-11. I came back right before 9-11. So I had been out of the country, and the country had changed a great deal. And one of the things that had changed was nobody discussed anything anymore. You opened your mouth, and you were called a racist. You said anything about the fact that the left was wrong about something, and you were called racist, you were called sexist, you were called hateful. It was always shut up. There was no way to actually have an argument. You could only, you know, the the right was kind of flabbergasted. They were trying to say, you know, this is a, this is, our ideas are good and their ideas are bad. And they said, well, you're Islamophobic. As if people just woke up one day and said, you know what I'm afraid of? Islam. You know, it's just like a phobia. It's an irrational fear. Had nothing to do with that great pit in the middle of downtown Manhattan. Had nothing to do with that. It was just phobia. You were just phobic. You know, it, it, you, there's no, there was no way to discuss these ideas. And the reason for that was that 9-11, what happened on 9-11 proved every single thing the left had been teaching us and was teaching our children in our universities and in our public schools. Every single thing was wrong. Postmodernism was wrong. This was the idea that there was no truth and there was no good or bad and anything, you know, it's just the way you looked at it. There's nothing good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Suddenly we thought, no, you know what? That looked pretty evil to me. That actually looked evil. Like the people going and doing business and wanting to go home to their families, that looked good. Driving a plane into a bunch of buildings, to uh, to spread a theocratic rule that I don't know you know call me crazy but that looked evil to me so relativism was disproved multiculturalism listen I I've said this before I'm all for multi ethnicity I think multi ethnicity is an American idea it's a wonderful thing it is a it's the wave of the future. If we can pull it off, maybe we can't pull it off. Multi-ethnicity is different than multiculturalism. Some cultures suck. Some cultures are evil. And this is the thing. If you ask the left, they say, no, no, that's uh, offending somebody else's culture. And I think, well, what about the culture of the South where they kept black people slaves? And that you try it. It's, it's wonderful to watch them stammer because some cultures have good ideas and some cultures have bad ideas. It's not the people. People are pretty, you know, they're evil people, but they're very rare, actually. Most people are just created by their culture, and most people don't think their way out of their culture. Atheism fell apart. Atheism was not such a good idea, because in order, because our ideas were based on Christianity, we needed at least, at least a basic idea of a God of love to counter these people with their God of hatred and cruelty, and also feminism, which left the women of Islam in the lurch, had nothing to say about them, and and looked pretty stupid when a bunch of men 
namely firemen and policemen, were charging into those collapsing buildings. So all these ideas turned out to be untrue. And here is the thing. People do not change their minds. Their ideas come from their parents. Their ideas come from their society. Their ideas come from their own ruminations. And when you show them that their ideas are wrong, you can prove it to them, they don't change their minds. I once asked a friend of mine who has the same politics, maybe a little to the right. I said, how come everybody loves you and everybody, I'm enemy, public enemy number one? He said, I don't discuss my ideas. And the reason I don't discuss my ideas is if I sit there and prove to them that Trump is doing a good thing, they get up from the table and they don't think, oh, He's proved to me that Trump is doing a good thing. Therefore, Trump is doing a good thing. They get up from the table and they say, he proved to me that Trump is doing a good thing, so he's a bad person. They do not change their minds. You know, I and Hersi Ali did this video for Prager comparing Islamism to wokeism. And she admits there are lots and lots of differences between wokeism and Islamism. But she makes this comparison, which I thought was pretty valid. This is cut four. Both like burning the American flag. Both take offense at every opportunity and demand not just apologies, but concessions. Islamism invades against blasphemy. Wokeism wants to outlaw hate speech. Islamists use the word Islamophobia to silence critics. The woke do the same with racism. Both ideologies aim to tear down the existing system and replace it with utopias that always turn out to be hellish anarchies. Islamic State in Raqqa, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle. Both are collectivist. Group identity trumps the individual. Both tolerate and often glorify violence carried out by zealots. The grievances of Islamists and the woke aren't merely economic, and they won't be satisfied with jobs or entitlements or any other blandishments politicians are willing to offer. Their motivations are ideological, and they'll be satisfied only with power. And then they'll demand more power. See, that's the key thing. This is the key thing. The Islamists didn't attack us because of us. They attacked us because they are grown human beings, grown adults with ideas. They have ideas. Those ideas don't like our ideas and they wanted to attack us. And instead of saying, you know, yeah, we've done bad things. We should not do bad things. We can change those things, but we have to defend our ideas. The left has abandoned those ideas and they have done it in the name of Marxist ideology. All of it comes down to Marxist ideology, this collectivist ideology, which has failed everywhere. And again, it's one more idea that has failed that they will not let go. It failed in the Soviet Union. It failed in Scandinavia. This is the big joke. Bernie Sanders is always saying, we need something more like Norway. And you say, well, Norway doesn't have socialism. Well, I don't know anything about Norway. (laughs) What did you just say? (laughs) What are you talking about? All of these ideas have failed, and because they failed and because people will not change their mind, they have slipped into this um, system of personal insult and personal attack that has silenced everybody and has made us insane. We can't, can't debate with each other anymore because we are too busy hating one another, because our jobs are on the line, because anything we say is, is, will be held against us, not in a court of law, but in the court of public opinion. There was, uh, who was it, Chris Rufo found this document that is going inside Google from their, what do they call their inclusion people, uh, where they've created an internal document called Anti-Racism Resources. And it has this graphic called the White Supremacy Pyramid. And it's things that people say that they think lead to white supremacy, like all lives matter or like Everybody, you know, there is no such thing as as race. We don't care about race, all of those things. And it's a bunch of evil people like Donald Trump who lead up the pyramid to the real fascists. And of course, at the top, there are some real fascists and all this. But you know who's at the bottom of the pit? You know who's the gateway drug? 
Shapiro, Ben Shapiro, Mr. Genocide himself. They're accusing Ben Shapiro of genocide. My feeling about that is like, I just hope he has time with all the genocide to still sign the checks. But, but you know, th- this is, this is the kind of insanity that drives people crazy. It makes us hate us more. But the more their ideas fail, the more their ideas fail, the more they have to find people to hate and reasons to hate them. And that is the, that's the state of play right now. 9-11, just like the fall of the Soviet Union, 9-11 proved once again that the left's theories, all of which are kind of a mask for socialism, but they have new theories all the time, but their relativism, their atheism, their anti-Americanism, all of them were false. And so in order to keep those ideas, because nobody gives up their false ideas, in order to keep those ideas, they have had to resort to this shut upery, this system of insult. And that's what's driven us insane. And that, more than anything, is what has led to this slump we're in, this possible decline we're in 20 years after we were attacked by the worst people on the globe. One of the things people love about my pillow is it's such a comfortable way to sleep. But I wouldn't know anything about that because I haven't slept in 40 years. Uh, but <laughs> my pillow is also comfortable if you're lying awake, as I usually am. It was a really wonderful thing. But my pillow hasn't stopped with pillows. They, my pillow also has my pillow sheets. I don't know why they're called my pillow, but there are sheets. These my pillow found the world's best cotton. It's called Giza. It's ultra soft and breathable, but extremely durable. My pillow sheets come with a 60-day money back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. The first night you sleep on the Giza sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. I, I say that, but I lie awake on my Giza sheets and my, my pillow. Giza Dream Sheets come in a variety of sizes and colors. My pillow's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. For a limited time, you will receive 50% off the Giza Dream Sheets. You'll receive a set for as low as $49.99. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code DAILYWIRE. There you'll find not only this amazing offer, but also deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. Call 1-800-651-1148, use the promo code DAILYWIRE, or go to MyPillow.com and make sure you use that promo code DAILYWIRE. Basically, what I'm describing to you when I talk about the path from 9-11 is, is why I'm here, why how I got into this crazy place from being basically a novelist and a screenwriter because I saw that people were emphasizing personality ad hominem attacks and forgetting the ideas that made us great and the ideas that we stand for, as we see. And it used to be, when I was a kid, there was this wonderful television show. I think it was lasted for exactly one season. I was a big fan of tough guy detective stories, and there was a tough guy detective show called The Outsider with Darren McGavin, one of the truly great uh, tough guy actors of, of, on television. He played Mike Hammer, and on The Outsider, he played a detective named David Ross, and every week, the show would begin in Medias Race. It would begin in the middle of the show at the most exciting moment, uh, when the detective David Ross would be shot and beaten up and tied up and thrown in a car, the car pushed over a cliff and set on fire. And Darren McGavin would come on and say, my name is David Ross. And you're probably wondering how I got into a situation like this. So this is my story of how I got into this situation and why I started talking especially about the culture, which was the thing I knew about. Because I could see, having been away, having been out of the country, I could see that our culture had gone awry and that the people who still stood in various ways, in different ways, in ways sometimes where they disagreed with one another, but still stood for the basic ideas of our civilization, were not 
engaging in the cultural sphere where so many minds are shaped and so many minds are changed. And if you don't think so, if you don't think that the people who know how to build cultures, how to build nations, how to become strong, if you don't think they, they, the people who know about that know that the culture matters, you only have to look to our good friends over in China because China came out with a bunch of rules. The government, these are government rules limiting the amount of time that children can play video games. They get something like an hour on each weekend day and that's it. And banning any stars on TV, any entertainers on TV who are especially obviously male stars on TV who aren't masculine enough. They said no more. <laughs> they passed a law. So help me against what they call sissy men. They cut in, in uh, Chinese. I don't know how to pronounce this in young pow, but it means girly guns. That's what I'm going to call Knowles from now on. Say, hey, girly guns. You know? <laughs> These guys. And they say they can't do this anymore. And they said they should not Broadcasters should avoid promoting vulgar internet celebrities and vigorously promote excellent Chinese traditional culture. So at the same time they're doing this. Now, of course, you know, they make fun of the right for saying, well, they have a point. Obviously, we don't want these things to be done by the government because it's just as oppressive as forcing people to get vaccinated. And that's why I keep saying we have to solve cultural issues by cultural means. But it's only now, after 20 years of me screaming at them, it is only now that the right is getting its head out of its collective kazoo and going out there and starting to engage in the culture at least a little bit. We're stumbling forward. We're trying. But now, of course, the left has got so much power that uh, because the corporations have joined in with their leftist program and the social media has joined in. Essentially, uh, it is it is fascism. It is, you know, nascent fascism where the corporations are doing the government's bidding. The corpor- the government can't censor you because of the First Amendment, but they can say to Twitter, well, it's misinformation. You should be knocking that guy off. And idiot right-wingers, idiot libertarians will say, well, you can't stop Facebook from forcing people off. Yeah, you can. We gave them the power. The government gave them the power to edit people without having the um, responsibilities of publishers. It can take that power away, and it must. It should. But if you don't think the Chinese care about this, don't forget who runs TikTok, who owns TikTok. You know, TikTok is a, a huge social media platform. The Wall Street Journal ran a test where they pretended to be uh, teenagers, and they signed on to TikTok and they would browse TikTok. And here's, I'm reading off the Wall Street Journal. An analysis of the videos served to these accounts of young people found that through its powerful algorithms, TikTok can quickly drive minors among the biggest users of the app into endless spools of content about sex and drugs. TikTok served one account registered as a 13-year-old at least 569 videos about drug use, references to cocaine and meth addiction and promotional videos for online sales of drug products and paraphernalia. Hundreds of similar videos appeared in the feeds of the journal's other minor accounts. TikTok also showed the journal's teenage users more than 100 videos from accounts recommending paid pornography sites and sex shops. Now, TikTok employees, you know, uh, ByteDance, which I think is the people who own TikTok, is owned by the Chinese and the and former employees, according to CNBC, former TikTok employees say there's cause to concern when it comes to the popular social media apps. Chinese parent company, they say ByteDance, has access to TikTok's American user data and is closely involved in the Los Angeles company's decision making and product development. Well, you know, you don't have to be a conspiracy theory to put that 
together, right? This is what you see on TikTok. And so when you have, when you have these crazy TikTok women coming on and say, here's, here's an example of one. Just remember, they're, they don't mean to be working for China, but China loves it. This is cut 15. I don't know if this is considered an unpopular opinion, but if you have a daughter, you need to stop calling her princess if you do. The way that Disney has branded the princess is based on her beauty as her most important asset. This term also encourages the damsel in distress that needs to be rescued by a man. And it doesn't focus on their intelligence or integrity or any other character trait. Why don't we call girls scientist, engineer, doctor? Like, why does it have to be something cutesy like, oh, princess, what do you need? Like, no. My daughter's father called her princess yesterday and I had to lecture him again because we do not use that term in this house. Even my own sisters have called her princess and I will tell them don't call her that. Maybe I come across as very controlling, but I think it's a very harmful word and she shouldn't look up to that. Why would anyone think she's controlling? <laughs> Why would anyone think that that's a controlling, uh, ball-busting young lady? Uh, but, but you know, th th to have this kind of uh, confusion and gender confusion and pornography and drugs pushed to our young people on TikTok is something the Chinese are doing while telling their own people, uh, keep the gender confused men off TV and keep the kids off the video games. The, you know, video games are fine as long as you're not playing them 12 hours a day as some of our kids are. And by the way, I should just plug my daughter's book, Faith Moore has written a book, Saving Cinderella, in which she tells the truth about princesses. It's a really brilliant book. Uh, you can get that on Amazon, Saving Cinderella by Faith Moore. And she talks about what these Disney princesses really mean. But meanwhile, meanwhile, it's not just on TikTok. This kind of gender-confused ideology is on is is coming down from the very top. I mean, as I said, you can be thrown off social media for stating the simple fact that men are not women, that men and women are different, that men don't become women. There are only two kinds of people in the world. This is why I, I don't even buy into all this, uh, a lot of the race stuff. I think there are only two kinds of people in the world, men and women. That's it. A black man and I are as close together, uh, far closer together than a white woman and I. That's just the truth. I mean, men and women are different. They are the two different kinds of people. They were made for different purposes or made for different reasons and they were created to be different. That is part of the joy of life. Only the left could suck the joy out of the difference, the gender differences, which are the reason for, for most people uh, being alive. I mean, they're a reason for all people being alive, but they're also a reason for most people to live. Here's AOC, who, uh, right, <laughs> speaking of Disney, reminds me of Minnie Mouse with fewer brains. AOC attacking this abortion law, because this is, this is the big thing. If we don't have the right to kill our children, then how can we have sex all the time? And then how can we destroy our country? I mean, that's really what it is. The, the reason we kill children is because nobody wants to say, don't have sex out of wedlock. Nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to say, control yourself, control your, because that's how, that's how the powerful get power over you. They get power over you because you can't control yourself. So here's AOC. I just got to play this for a minute because it's an amazing clip talking, attacking this abortion and uh, Texas anti-abortion law. What this is about is controlling women's bodies and controlling people who are not cisgender men. 
This is about making sure that someone like me as a woman or any menstruating person in this country cannot make decisions over their own body. And people like Governor Abbott and Mitch McConnell want to have more control over over a woman's body than that woman or that person has over themselves. And what what that shares in uh, in you know what that shares with rape culture is that sexual assault is about the abuse of power and sexual assault is about asserting control over another person and the ease with which these men seek to do that to other people is atrocious it is morally reprehensible and they don't they cannot even begin to understand the agonizing decisions that people have to make including in cases of miscarriage rape and incest so, so this woman doesn't even know how babies are made. She doesn't even know how babies are made. She can't even say women. It has to be anyone who's menstruating. And men, men don't understand how people pretending not to be men feel. You know, I mean, it's, it's this kind of insanity that they have brought on themselves because they cannot get out of the fact that their ideas don't work. These ideas, I mean, ideas are everything. Ideas are everything because people are pretty much the same. You know, like I said, there are bad people and there are good people, but most people are, you know, like all of us, we're flawed, we're stumbling around, we don't know what we're doing, but ideas, the ideas that shape us mean everything. And if those ideas are true, if those ideas are good, they do, uh, they will shape a better culture and shape your life in a better way. You know, they're now complaining. People are uh, worried that men are abandoning higher education. They're not going to college. But to be honest with you, you know, men are the future. When I say that, what I mean is men do stuff first. You know, when when women do stuff, it's because men built the thing they built. And that's not a knock on women. Women have a very important job, which is creating the human race. However, however, when you're talking about the cultures, when men go off to play video games, video games are the next big thing. When men stop being in the movies, the movies are over. That's what you can tell. And when they stop going to college, it probably means college is over, which is going to have good and bad things. But one good thing it's going to have is going to stop the spread of these horrible ideas that China knows. That China knows they're horrible. They're outlawing them in China, but they're selling them to us. Listen, 20 years after 9-11, the Taliban didn't win because we don't know how to shoot a gun. The Taliban didn't win because in, in Afghanistan, because we're not tougher than they are, or stronger, or our soldiers aren't better than they are. We are killing ourselves with bad ideas. We're killing ourselves with bad culture. And that means, you know, they're not going to change. The left is not going to change. People do not change their bad ideas. They do not change their bad ideas. Their pride is mixed up in them. Their heritage is mixed up in them. Family is mixed up in them. Psychology is mixed up in them. They will not let bad ideas go. That means if you have a good idea, you've got to start spreading that idea by not being silenced, by not being afraid, by not, uh, by not holding back your support of people who are out there saying the things that they have to say. People like us at The Daily Wire do not hold back because, look, this is it. It's a war of ideas. It's not a war of guns. The guns come later. The guns will come. But it is a war of ideas. And if we're going to win, we've got to be in the fight. So this is an excellent time to shut out the world and get yourself a pair of Raycon earbuds, right? Raycon block the noise of the world. You will not hear the Republic falling. You can just listen to your music, listen to me guided meditation. I like to listen to audiobooks. Uh, they're terrific for that. They're absolutely terrific. They have a 32-hour battery life, so they don't run out. They don't look stupid. You don't look like an insect when you're wearing them. 
And here's the big thing. They start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Give them a try, and you will see what I mean. They, they really are terrific. Create your own soundtrack, your own world with Raycon. Right now, my listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash Clavin. That's B-U-Y, Raycon.com slash Clavin to save 15% off on Raycons, buyraycon.com slash Clavin, and then just tap them and say, how do you spell Clavin? And they'll hear right in your ear, it'll say K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Clavin. I just make it look this easy. So since we're talking about ideas and we're talking about our founding ideas and the ideas that shape our culture, I want to answer a mailbag uh, question I got. I think I got it a couple of weeks ago uh, from a fellow named Brandon Andrew. Uh, and the reason I want to answer it is because I get this question a lot. I mean, I get it a lot, a lot. And I, I know I've addressed it before, but I, I want to see if I can address it as, as fully as possible. And I may not be able to finish this all in one day. So if not, I'll come back to it next week. Uh, but Brandon says, I had a question regarding a Bible verse and how we as Christians are to abide by it. The verse I'm referring to is Matthew 7, 1, where Christ says, judge not, lest you be judged. How are we to comment on relevant cultural issues such as transgenderism, casual adultery, the glorification of abortion, and much more without judging? This is one verse that sometimes stops me in my tracks when I'm being critical of modern degeneracy, but maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. Your insight would be appreciated. Uh, and he says, P.S., your book titles are great. Don't listen to Ben. Truer words were never spoken, by the way. It's like, <laughs> this is Ben attacked my, my book coming out in uh, April, next April, which addresses a lot of the ideas I'm about to talk about now. It's called The Truth and Beauty because it's about poetry and a way of looking at the Gospels. So it's about the truth and beauty. Uh, never mind. Uh, all right. So I'm not a theologian. I'm just a believer. But I believe in a certain way because there are certain things that I'm willing to let pass. Some some people, you know, I don't mean to criticize my fellow Christians like I'm doing it right and they're doing it wrong. But Christianity is not a, a, a team. It's not the point of Christianity is not to point at other people and say, you stink because you're not one of us. You're not wearing our hat. Obviously, I think we all know that. Uh, so it's not a question of judging other people or even changing the culture. It's a question of changing yourself. It is a question of your relationship to Jesus Christ and your relationship to God through, through Christ, through a, an incarnate God that you can see and understand. So, you know, people look at this and we look at the effect it's had on the culture and you think, well, what am I supposed to be doing as a Christian? I mean, I go to church, uh, you know, I give money to charity. I don't cheat on my wife or my husband or whatever. And, and those are all important and good things. But you can be moral without believing in Christianity. I think that's true. I think we all know that's true. Uh, and we talk also a lot in, in Christianity about the things that, that Jesus did, about his dying on the cross, what that means, about the redemption, the salvation, getting into heaven, eternal life, all obviously important. But what I'm always concerned about is what should I be doing right now? I mean, because, you know, even though I, I try to give to charity, giving to charity doesn't feel like life in abundance that, that Jesus promised me. Uh, I never cheat on my wife because I'm nuts about my wife. Everybody knows that. Uh, but, but that doesn't suddenly, um, you know, give me the joy that Jesus says he's trying to give you. He says, I want you to feel the joy that's in me. That's what he says. So 
Jesus, you know, God incarnated himself as a preacher. And so it seems to me that he must have been trying to say something. He must have had something he wanted to tell us. And it's not as cut and dried as preachers tell us it is. I think a lot of preachers just go down to the basics, you know, be good, be nice. I used to joke with my wife. I'd come home from church and she would say, what is the sermon about? And I said, we're supposed to be nice. You know, that's what the sermon is about. But I, I think that Jesus was saying something a lot more complicated than that and a lot more subtle. And difficult to understand and difficult to get into practice. And it's, I'm, remember, I'm answering the question, what does it mean to judge not? And clearly what Jesus was saying centers on this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And at one point, Jesus is asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of heaven would come. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is not coming in ways that can be observed. You won't say, look, there it is, or here it is. Behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And this word that he uses is entos. The Greek word that is written for within is entos, which is a complicated word. And I get some of this from my son, Spencer Clavin, no relation, uh, who is an expert on classics and, and Greek. He reads Greek like I read English better, faster than I read English probably. Uh, and entos means inside, but it can mean inside a group. So it can mean kind of both things. And I personally think that Jesus is probably using it in a way that uh, reverberates with both meanings. In other words, the kingdom of heaven is within you, but in being within you, it is within everybody. It is within uh, the, all of us, right? It's within a group. So what do we know about the kingdom of heaven? Well, we know it's within us and we know it's small. It's a small thing, right? Jesus, whenever he tells a story about the kingdom of heaven, it's always a small thing. It's like a piece, a bit of yeast, but it makes the whole bread rise. It's like a mustard seed, but it grows into an enormous tree that gives life to all the birds. Uh, it's like a jewel lost in a field, and you dig up the entire field just to get that one little jewel. It's a small thing, but it changes everything. And so you want to know, how do we get it? This, to me, is what you're supposed to be doing. And again, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a theologian. I'm talking about my relationship to this stuff, which has caused me to live in at such a level of joy that I'm grateful every day. And so that's why I'm telling you about it. I'm not telling you about it because I think it makes me a good person. I'm not telling you about it because I'm an expert. I'm telling you my experience of a relationship with Jesus Christ through the Bible, through reading the Bible and reading about the Bible, how I've come to understand it, right? So it seems to me, you ask yourself, how do we get that kingdom of heaven be the yeast that makes all of us uh, rise, that makes us better, that gives us the joy and the life in abundance that we were supposed to have. And we know it involves this thing called metanoia, and it's always translated. One of the big problems I have with American religion is the translation of the Greek. I mean, I taught myself to read Greek just so I could get it, the original, and metanoia is always translated as repent. It's like, feel bad about what you do. You know, feel, say, oh, I'm a sinful guy. Hang your head and, you know, repent. But that's not what it means. It means, metanoia means a transformation of the heart. When John the Baptist and Jesus say repent, then they say metanoia, you know, have metanoia. They mean transform, transform your heart. And that means to me that Jesus is trying in his preaching to get us to understand this very complicated thing this very mystical and complicated thing of how we get metanoia, this change of heart that, that will set off this little thing called the kingdom of heaven that will grow inside us into abundant life, okay? And again, I'm answering the question, uh, why should we judge not, right? So Jesus tells us there's some things you don't do. There's some things that are just going to get in the way. Don't kill anybody. 
That's a good one. Don't kill anybody. Don't steal from people. Respect other people's property. Uh, you know, don't commit adultery. These are things that are going to get in the way. They're not, they're not things that are going to get you there. They're not positive things that are going to give you, uh, the kingdom of heaven. They're things that, that would get in your way if you do them. They stop you from getting there. And, and all of those things, he says, are summed up by two commandments, love God and love your neighbor. Now, those are complicated things and that's something, uh, to talk about. But, but let's see about this. Why then does he say, judge not, lest you be judged? And almost everything he says is about this. Forgive as you would be forgiven. And if you forgive, you will be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven, okay? So those are all kind of the same thing. Don't judge, forgive people, uh, you know, let things go, and love your enemies. That's, these are all really complicated things. So I really have to love my enemies to do all this stuff. He's trying to get you to be in the kingdom of heaven. So here's what he says. Let me give you this quote exactly. And I know I've talked about some of this before, but it's worth going back to it because I want to, I want to enlarge on the picture. Uh, and as I said, if I have to go into next week, I will. Jesus says, you've heard it said that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain for the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Even a tax collector does that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So once again, <laughs> there are these words, perfect. So let's take a look at it, right? Perfect is in Greek is teleoi, and it means to bring something to its end so that it's lacking nothing necessary to completeness. So that's not perfect, like you never do anything wrong. That is, you become holy yourself. You become the person that you were made to be. So in order to be perfect, like God is perfect, you have to see things as God sees them, right? And God doesn't see them through a lens of hatred. He doesn't see, he, he reigns equally on the good and the bad. People sometimes think if things are so unfair. People, bad people get good things happen to them and good people have bad things happen. That's right. That's right. God treats everybody the same. He gives rain and, uh, sunshine to the good and the evil alike. And so Jesus is telling you to try to see things the way God sees them. When you look at per, a person the way God sees them, you don't, you really don't hate them. You really stop. It stops. You don't judge them. I mean, if you think of it from that point of view, if you think of it as something you're trying to do for yourself, trying to do from within yourself to bring the kingdom of God within, what other per- people are doing stops mattering so much. If you think of Christianity as a way of making the world a better place, you've lost the, tra- the, the train of thought because the world never becomes a better place. Jesus said that. He said, in the world, you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. So you're not trying to make the world a better place. You're not trying to get your neighbor to do the right thing. You're trying to make yourself see the world as God sees it. You know, when you talk about this teleoi, being perfect, coming to completeness, another word that I feel gets kind of mistranslated is the word we call sin. We talk about sin. You did something wrong. You sinned. You're, you're in sin. But the word in Greek is hamartia, which means missing that target. So it's the same thought, right? We're trying to become something. We're trying to become what God made us to be. And in doing that, you have to clear away these clouds of judgment, clear away these clouds of hatred, and just see the world as is. This is the same thing it's connected to in Zen, putting aside all your opinions. There's a wonderful Zen expression, uh, enlightenment is easy. All you have to do is put aside all of your opinions. <laughs> it's easy. It's not, nothing to it, right? Just put aside all your opinions. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Judge not. He wants you to see the world as perfect. And the reason it's so hard to do is because we still have the chores of life to take care of. You still have to tell your kids what's right and what's wrong, what's going to hurt them and what's not going to hurt them. You still have to fight your enemies on the battlefield because if they come and kill you and, and you know, take your women and burn your cities, that's going to be a bad day. So you still have to go out and kill them, but you don't have to go out and hate them. I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's really complex. You're right, Brandon, that, that the things you're talking about, adultery and, the, and abortion, abortion is, is a terrible evil. It's the slaughter of innocents. It's right to stand up against it. It is right to stand up against it, but you don't have to stand up against it in hate. You don't even have to stand up against it in judgment. It's not because what you're judging, you're not judging whether something is right or wrong. That's fine. It's fine to judge whether something is right or wrong. You're judging whether somebody is closer to God or not. You're judging what you're, what Jesus is telling you is don't judge where a person is in relationship to God because you don't know. You don't know what kind of car he's driving. He may be driving a car that is much worse than yours. So we have some reason to think that we can see the world as God sees it, right? And that's the thing I think I'm going to have to leave to next week because it's a very specific idea. It's a very specific idea. It is not the idea that, you know, you never have to act in uh in vengeance, well, you don't act in vengeance, but it's not the idea that you never have to act in self-defense. It's not the idea that you don't have to try and build a good society. It's not the idea that you don't have to fight war. Sometimes you have to fight war. Sometimes you have to fight human beings. It is the idea that if you act in love and if you see the world in love, you will have joy and life in abundance and the way you behave will change. Even the little I've begun to understand this has changed my life for the better. I'm always joking about changing your life. It has changed my life for the better. So putting aside these judgments, seeing the world in love, loving your enemies, forgiving the people who have hurt you, which is really, really difficult to do. I'm not good at it. I'm sure you're not uh, too good at it either. But if you learn to do this, you start to see the world in a different way. And I'm going to talk next week. I'm going to wait and talk next week about what it means to see the world like this, because it's. I think it's a very specific thing. I think it's what we're supposed to be doing. I think it's more important um, than certainly more important than shaking your fist at other people or telling other people who they should, should sleep with. All those things are things that get in your way. The, you know, the, the commandments are negative commandments. Don't do this, don't do that, because they're things that get in your way. Once you put those things aside, once you put those things aside, you can begin the effort to judge not, to forgive, to see the world as God sees the world, which transforms everything. A lot of questions in the mailbag today about manhood. And if you want to, you know, start talking about the basics of manhood, you've got to start with rockauto.com. Because if you're driving, sitting, if your car is broken and you're sitting in your car pretending to drive to an auto parts store where there's some guy, imaginary guy, because you can't even get there because your car is not running. And there's an imaginary guy standing there who doesn't know anything more about auto parts than you do. You know, women are not going to turn around. But if you just say, all you got to do is say it, just say rockauto.com. You got to say it just like that, rockauto.com. Then women just swoon because they know that you know where to go for great auto parts at the lowest possible prices right in your computer, right at home, because you can't get anywhere because your car's not running. Go to rockauto.com. You will see a terrific catalog. It is easy to use with great prices. Go to rockauto.com. You shop for auto parts. And when you get there, uh, right, 
Clavin in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. But you got to write it the same way. You got to say Clavin, just like you say rockauto.com. It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So I was talking before about this incredible government overreach from the Biden administration, uh, demanding that any company with more than 100 employees like the Daily Wire uh, has to get force them to be vaccinated or have them tested once a week. And companies that don't comply uh, face up to $14,000 in fines for each violation. So it could be ruinous to small businesses all over the country, including the Daily Wire. And so we're going to fight it. We're going to fight this. It's a dictatorial. It's wrong. Uh, so as we prepare for this battle, it's going to be a battle of epic proportions. So we're calling on all of you who listen to us to help us fight the obscene and tyrannical mandate. If you join us as a Daily Wire member right now, you will be giving us the resources we need to take this all the way to the Supreme Court if we've got to. So go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code do not comply at checkout and we'll give you 25% off. Americans have been far too willing to cede their freedoms to authoritarian bureaucrats in the name of public health. Enough is enough. So please stand with us at Daily Wire and perhaps most importantly, for the rights of all American citizens. Also, this weekend, uh, we're going to be remembering the men and women who lost their lives 20 years ago in the most brutal terror attack America has ever seen. In an extremely important episode of Ben Shapiro's Sunday special, he will sit down with one of the politicians that shouldered much of the burden placed on the Bush administration in the aftermath of former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. She was an excellent and moving guest. It's available now if you haven't had the chance to check it out yet. So go stream it now at dailywire.com, on the Daily Wire, Apple TV, Roku app, or on Ben's YouTube channel, Ben Shapiro. Daily Wire members get access to special bonus content from Sunday special episodes. So don't miss out. Join Daily Wire today. So in this increasingly dire moment for the country, I wanted to bring on uh, Heather McDonald for the simple reason that she is, if she's not the best reporter in the country, she is one of the very best. Uh, she's the winner of the Bradley Prize. You can read her stuff at City Journal, uh, Wall Street Journal. If in Fair World, she'd be the winner of every journalistic prize, but we don't live in Fair World. And uh, they basically, the mainstream media won't even talk to her because she's too busy telling the truth, which they have no room for. Uh, Heather, it's great to see you. I'm, uh, it's, it's always a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much, Drew, and congratulations on your budding media empire there. It's quite impressive. <laughs> it is. I rule over everything I survey. Uh, so, you know, one of the, one of your the main things you cover is the police and crime. And I can't help but notice that after 20 years of some of the best crime statistics ever, we are plummeting into a new uh, 1970s, 1980s version of high crime, especially the murder rates are shooting up. What are you seeing on the crime statistics and why is it happening? It's extraordinarily depressing, worrisome and tragic. Uh, we're seeing thousands more overwhelmingly black victims of homicide. Last year was the largest percentage increase in homicide since recorded history in this country. Uh, and why this is happening is the demonization of the police since uh, at high volume since the death of George Floyd. That demonization has been going on for decades. But the difference after the George Floyd death was that you had every elite establishment in the country embracing this phony narrative about systemic lethal police bias. You had the president of the United States when he was running for 
election uh, during 2020 and, and in his inaugural speech and every opportunity since then, repeating the lie that black parents are right to fear that their children will be killed by a cop every time they step outside. And cops are incredibly demoralized. There's been an exit from the profession. People are taking early retirements. It's impossible to replace them. Who would want to start a job when the first day you start, you are under the pall of the accusation of racism that you can never clear your name of. And they've backed off of the essential proactive enforcement in high crime neighborhoods that is purely discretionary. They don't have to do it, but it means things like getting out of your car at 2 a.m. when you see somebody hanging out on a known drug corner, hitching up his waistband as if he has a gun and asking that guy a few questions. Cops are saying, why should I get out of my car? I don't have to. There's not been a 911 call yet. There's not been a shooting yet. I'm going to drive around, wait for the next robbery call to come over my radio. Because if I get out and, and this questioning turns confrontational and I am forced to escalate my use of force and that somebody's got a cell phone video, it goes viral, I'm out of a job, I could be facing criminal prosecution, and cops are just saying it's not worth the effort. Is, is there any truth to the <laughs> emotional charge, I would say, that even if the police aren't doing anything wrong, the fact that... Uh, so many black people commit crimes puts innocent black people in this position where they're getting harassed. Uh, is there any truth to that? Is that an actual serious problem that has to be dealt with or is it just the state of play? Well, I would accept your, your articulation of it. I think it's true. I think there is a black crime tax. It is undoubtedly the case that a law-abiding black male does stand a greater chance of at some point in his life getting stopped because he meets a suspect description. Uh, one third of all black males have a felony conviction, not because the system is racist, uh, but because the crime rate is that high in the black community. And so, you know, if you're driving uh, a car and you're obeying traffic laws, and we can talk later about what we know about actual speeding behavior between blacks and whites, which is not what the public thinks. But but there, if you're otherwise law-abiding, there is a higher chance that you'll get pulled over because somebody has committed a crime uh, that you fit a description of or on a street. So that is a burden, but I would say the far greater burden is the fact that blacks die of homicide at 13 times the rate uh, between the ages of 10 and 43 as whites between the ages of 10 and 43. 13 times the rate. They're being killed at 13 times the rate, not by the police, not by whites, but by other blacks. The police are trying to lower that homicide toll. That data comes from 2015. It's the CDC's own data. It's gotten much worse since then. 2020 and 2021 uh, has just seen open season on blacks by other blacks. Uh, we're likely to see 10,000 blacks who were killed last year and probably the number will be higher this year. Uh, that's more than all, much, much more, thousands more than all white and Hispanic homicide victims combined, even though blacks are only 13% of the population. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking. I mean, we saw crime go down because of scientific policing, because of broken windows kind of policing where you don't tolerate small crimes because they lead to big crimes. 
the left's argument was that there was mass incarceration. And Malcolm Gladwell makes this argument that taking so many uh, black males off the street hurts the neighborhood and actually feeds into crime because you lose fathers, you lose, uh, you know, men from those neighborhoods. Is there any is there any other way of doing this? Is there any truth to that? Is there any sense that uh, was Donald Trump wrong when he passed the whatever it was called, the First Step Act and uh, let people out for lesser drug crimes? I mean, was there any reform needed? Well, what Trump was really wrong about was doing this in the name of racial justice and and buying into the left's narrative that the criminal justice system is racist. That was disastrous. That was opportunistic on his part. Uh, he was he wanted a way to bash Joe Biden. There are many other ways to bash Joe Biden. Joe Biden was right to sign the federal 1994 crime bill. That bill acknowledged that incarceration is, frankly, sadly, the only thing we know besides proactive policing that stops crime before it happens. But incarceration reliably incapacitates criminals. It would be great. Incarceration is not an end in itself. It would be great if we had programs that could reliably prevent crime or reform people once they have joined the gang lifestyle. The one program we have is something called a family. It's something called a father and a mother who are both committed to their biological child and are providing twice the emotional, financial kin resources as as a single mother who may be trying her best, but frankly, the odds as Obama recognized in 2008 when he was running for president the first time around, the odds are incredibly against that single mother uh, in in her ability to raise a law-abiding uh, child and boy and girl. The mass incarceration meme, Drew, uh, is, is a result of one thing, disparate impact. Uh, it's the fact that, that the criminal justice system does have a disparate impact on blacks. Blacks make up about a third of the nation's prisoners, even though they're 13% of the population. If that weren't the case, if, if whites were disproportionately in prison compared to their population numbers, nobody would be talking about mass incarceration. The, the attitude would be, you know, Put them in there and throw away the key. Everything in our criminal justice system today is driven by the fact of disparate impact. You cannot enforce the law without having a disparate impact on blacks. Why? Not again, not because the system is racist, but because the black crime rate is so high. In in Chicago, a black Chicagoan is 80 times more likely to commit a shooting than a white Chicagoan in New York. A, a black New Yorker is 50 times more likely to commit a shooting than a white New Yorker in Los Angeles. A black Los Angelino is 35 times more likely to commit homicide than a white Los Angelino. Those are the facts. Uh, and so the only way to avoid disparate impact of law enforcement on blacks is to stop enforcing the law at all. And that's what's going on. That is what's going on. That's why these progressive prosecutors are saying they're not going to enforce trespass. They're not going to enforce resisting arrest. They're not going to enforce loitering. They're not going to enforce theft. Why? Because those all have a disparate impact on blacks. And of course, what really has a disparate impact on blacks is unwinding police. <laughs> uh, I mean, let me let me well, just if I can. 
Drew, if I can just give you some some reality here from Chicago to get viewers a sense of what's going on every day because the media turns its eyes away. It's astounding to me. Over Labor Day weekend in Chicago, you had 66 people, at least 66 people shot. 11 children under the age of 17 were shot. A four-year-old boy who was visiting from Alabama was having his hair braided in a house. He was killed uh, by shots fired at his at his uh, the house he was in while he was in a barber chair having his barbershop chair having his hair braided. Over Fourth of July weekend, uh, you had a one-month-old girl who was shot, now critically wounded in a mass shooting. You know the media only likes mass shootings if white people are committing them. This was an instance where you had three males who got out of a black Jeep Cherokee and began shooting in several directions uh, across a, a sidewalk. They hit seven people. They got back in their in their Jeep Cherokee and fled. So the, the one-year-old was shot in the head. Uh, hours before, a nine-year-old girl had been shot in the head in the backseat of a car. And the day on the Thursday before the 4th of July weekend, you had a six-year-old girl and her mother who were shot, critical condition. They were drive-by on the sidewalk. A five-year-old girl was shot eight hours earlier. This is going on every single weekend and day, and the press doesn't cover it because it will not talk about black pathology. It does not want to talk about black-on-black crime. If these were white kids getting shot, there would be a national revolution. The press thinks of itself as so anti-racist, it does not give a damn about these black victims because they're all taken by black criminals. This is something I, I want to ask you, and I know you can only give an opinion on this. This is not a factual question, but it's been bothering me the last few weeks. You're talking about this. This is, you know, the Black Lives Matter leftist ideas about defunding the police. All of this is making this so much worse. I mean, at an incredible rate. This week, Bill McGurn wrote an excellent column in the Wall Street Journal talking about the fact that the public schools, which are all run by leftists and, and teachers unions, are are leaving black children without any kind of math proficiency, without any kind of language proficiency. And the left's answer is to take away standards and then to just make sure, force employers to hire them, even if they can't do the job. Uh, in California, Larry Elder running for governor, a white woman dressed as a gorilla threw an egg at him. And on uh, social media, the left is defending this. They're defending her because they're saying the Los Angeles Times is saying that Larry Elder is a white supremacist. Is there some strain of genuine racial hatred on the left? Is there something inherent in leftism that is anti-black? I mean, because nothing, you know, sure, are there bigots on the right? Absolutely. But nothing the right does wreaks this kind of destruction and havoc among our Amer our fellow Americans who are black. Nothing the right does does this. I don't care if they burn wiki torches, whatever the hell they're called. They still don't cause this kind of destruction in the black community. Is the left doing this on purpose or is it just blindness? I think it's mostly blindness. I think the, the elites are terrified that the academic skills gap and the behavior skills gap is not going to close. So you can say, why do they think that? Uh, I mean, they certainly have 
70 years of history at this point with government efforts that haven't managed to close those gaps. So they are very assiduously making sure that the only allowable explanation for uh, the ongoing academic skills gap and behavior and crime gap is racism. Uh, what is taboo is to talk about culture and behavior and lack of personal responsibility. Uh, they don't want to go there and they certainly don't want to go to anything related to heritability. But I think uh, that they actually believe in these policies. I, I don't think it's, it's race hatred. It may be race condescension, but I, I think that uh, their minds are just so filled up with the idea of white supremacy uh, that they, they think that government is the solution. I, I would say, and I know that you know, you're adopting kind of a favorite right-wing trope, which is that all of these problems come from bad government policy. And I would never deny that these policies are making things much worse. Uh, and they, they have had a deleterious effect on the, on the black family. But I, at this point, am kind of fed up with that narrative as well. I think there's got to be change coming from within the black community as well. There's got to be a total rejection of the anti-acting white syndrome. Uh, there's got to be a commitment to academic achievement. In California, the black truancy rate is four times that of, of whites. You can't learn, you know, even if your school is very subpar, you can't learn unless you're in school. And so I think there's a lot that can come from adopting bourgeois values that have disintegrated over the last several decades. Do, do you feel in the, in the 70s and 80s, in the, in the 80s, finally, people became, became fed up with the high crime? Uh, they brought in guys like Giuliani. Uh, they approved of the kind of policing that he and his commissioners uh, put in place and they spread across the country. Do you feel that the culture has changed so much that people are willing to accept what's happening uh, in in cities like L.A. and San Francisco? That's a great question. And up to now, the answer is clearly yes. So the only, you know, we don't have our crystal ball is will it change? Will we eventually come to our senses? But yes, it is just astounding that people are willing to walk over feces and, and send their kids through hypo, a field of hypodermic needles to get to school and, and accept the destruction of neighborhood quality of life Again, all driven by the fear of, of, of high standards and disparate impact, the d determination to see everything through the lens of white racism. Uh, and, and yes, we've had another three decades of colleges vomiting out, uh, you know, completely brainwashed children who've been the brainwashing, as you know, more than anybody else, Drew, starts earlier and earlier these days. But colleges are sort of the the finishing school for this uh, and the safetyist female mentality that are turning all their corporations left wing along with CEO wives. Uh, but yeah, we've had another three decades of academic victim politics and uh, it's, it's amazing to me. Now you can look, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent fan of Eric Adams, the, the democratic nominee for mayor in New York He's got a very, very bad past when it comes to policing, even though he was a police officer, but he spent his whole time on the New York police force bashing 
the Department for Phantom Racism. I hope that he's truly turned over a new leaf. But if one wants to look for signs of a turnaround in hope, and, and I'm hardly the first to notice this. I mean, he's got the New York Post is completely his cheerleader and was during the Democratic primary uh, as seeing him as a sign that New Yorkers are moving, inching back towards their Giuliani Bloomberg sanity. Uh, so we'll see. But you know, we've got some re-elections coming up. George Gascon has a, here in Los Angeles, uh, one of the worst left-wing prosecutors. There is a recall election uh, effort at, at recalling him now. They're collecting signatures, whether that will work. I don't know. But, you know, last election, there were some left-wing prosecutors who were re-elected. So whether we're ready to, to uh, start demanding that government perform its one mandatory function, which is law and order and public safety, whether we're ready for that and to discard the white supremacy self-righteousness, I'm not sure. Heather McDonald, uh, truly one of the great reporters in the country. Find her stuff at City Journal. She has terrific books out, The War on Cops. Uh, what was the last one? The uh, Diversity, diversity delusion. delusion. Heather, it's it, the Diversity Delusion. Heather, it's great to see you. I hope you'll come back soon. We'll talk some more. Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate it. All right, we've reached that sad, that almost tragic moment when you will be forced to let go of your problems because all of them will be solved through the vehicle of the mailbag. He's not familiar with a woman, with a, a, a female or menstruating person's body. Yeah! <laughs> Mickey Mouse is wondering why he's so lonely, but she's on CNN. Uh, from RJ... <laughs> I have a little, just a little Minnie Mouse humor. Come on. Uh, from RJ, I am an 18-year-old guy, and I'm about to move into dorms at a university that's a couple hours away from where I live in Canada. I have struggled throughout my life with my identity. My father left recently, but honestly, he was never really there most of the time. I can remember exactly two months my last summer with him when we genuinely hung out, and he left me to sleep in a transport truck while he slept in a giant house with a woman he was cheating on my mother with. Uh, now, after almost two years of watching The Daily Wire, I have made a resolve to grow into a man that my father never was. But growing up with a bunch of bitter women, every aspect of being masculine that I try to embody is seen as me being a traitor to my skin color. I'm black, by the way, uh, whitewashed or a sissy. At some points, I even wondered, what's the point of continuing if I'm going to always be seen as the immature child that can never be better than his father? I would love to get your thoughts on how exactly I can become the type of man that God describes in the Bible or the embodiment of a good family man that is also successful in business uh, and who can make his own decisions and be confident that he's making a decision based on his true morals. Uh, so basically, you uh, you have toxic men and women in your life, uh, toxic men who have set a bad example uh, and toxic women who are uh, hectoring you as you try to find the real example within yourself and in the words of God, you know, um, and you're not the first person to be in this situation. I mean, a lot of guys are in this situation. Uh, maybe most guys are in this situation, uh, but God has given you an inner man and congratulations. And I'm glad the Daily Wire had something to do with this. Congratulations for you turning to your inner man and the voice of God within you and hopefully uh, outside you and walking away from these toxic influences, right? Why would you even think, why would you even consider abandoning your quest to become the man God made you to be because toxic people are saying, oh, that's too white or uh, you're a sissy or whatever they're saying, whatever stupid stuff they're saying. What all men, all men 
are bombarded by people telling them not to be men. All men get this. They are, have people telling them not to be men or to be men in the wrong way, to be men in an overly aggressive, a belligerent, unkind way. What do you do? You walk the righteous road. That's almost the definition of manhood, walk the righteous road, right? Be courteous, be flexible, but unmovable when it's time to do what's right. Walk the righteous road. You know, some guys, I, I see a lot of this, and we had even that guy online who got all the people upset uh, on the show who got all the people upset. Some people think that in order to be a man, you have to deride women uh, or dominate them or control them. Uh, and, I, and I think the reason for that uh, or fa- learn tricks where you kind of trick them into doing what you want them to do and all this. And I think the reason for that is that a lot of men are afraid of women for the simple reason, actually kind of a, a good reason, that women have tremendous power. They have tremendous power. Sometimes the power hurts them more than it hurts anybody else, but they have tremendous power to affect men because men love them, they want them, they desire them, uh, and, and they want women in their lives so that that gives women tremendous power over them. The thing is, the trick to that is simply this. You don't have to control women. You have to control yourself. Once you have control over yourself, once you know you're going to walk the righteous road, then women only have the power that you give them. I joke all the time uh, that if a woman is nice to me, I'll do anything she wants. Now, the women, the smart women in the audience know exactly what my wife says whenever I make that joke. She says, as if. The other day I made it on the phone. She was in another room. I heard her go, as if, from, from the other room, because she knows I would give her the world. I would lasso the moon. I would give her anything I could give her unless she wants to talk me off the righteous road. She's my wife because she doesn't, but but she knows that I have that control over myself. And once you have that, you don't have to be afraid of anybody, right? You don't have to be afraid of anybody. So people say, you're a sissy, walk the righteous road. People say, you're white, whatever that means, it's ridiculous, but people say it, you walk the righteous road. You know, the first person, if you're going to be a businessman, you're going to be a leader, the first person you got to lead is yourself. Turn to the gospel, turn to good examples instead of bad examples, turn to women who will encourage you to be who you want to be. But, but in the end, it's got to be you and God on that road, and you just got to stick to it. You know, you want to be a man, that's how you do it. All right, uh, from Sasquatch has somewhat similar ideas. He says, growing up in a fatherless home, being raised by my mother and brother, I missed out on a lot of manly wisdom. Uh, the biggest blind spot I have is in self-control. I'm married with no kids. I've been going to church and following Christ for eight years now, and I'm 25. The biggest problem for my marriage is my porn addiction. I've kicked the problem down from daily to once every several months through prayer with mentors and my wife. Good for you. It's a tough thing to do. But for some reason, my sex drive with my wife is very low. If I'm thinking about porn, I forget about my wife. If I'm not thinking about porn, I'm holding back my sexual urges so much I forget to pursue my wife physically. I never realize this until she is completely hurt and insecure. She knows she can only do so much and we agree that I need to join a men's small group and find a consistent mentor with an understanding of how to help me. Yeah. So, This is not the usual problem with porn. The usual problem with porn is that uh, men get addicted to a fantasy of what sex is and lose their feeling for real life. And that's a a terrible thing. We've talked about that before, but that's not what this is. Uh, And and good for you for keeping away from porn as much as you are. Keep away from it more. (laughs) It's it's toxic. It's poison. Uh, But but because obviously the movie is still running in your head. The problem here is probably some kind of trauma in your life. Uh, that has made it hard for you to become intimate. So the, the kind of poisonous trick, the hard trick, is that the more you like somebody, 
And the more you feel for a woman, the harder it is for you to have sexual feelings about. And it's hard for women to understand that. You should explain it to your wife. It's because you love her that you're having trouble being intimate with her. Uh, this is a, an effective trauma. I don't know what the trauma is. That's why I very much recommend that you get some kind of therapy. They can really, they're good at this. Therapists are good at this. They can ungum the works. They can set you free from this trauma. You have to talk about it. You have to find out what it is, why you've gotten to be like this. In the meantime, in the meantime, try this, okay? Be with your wife without clothes on, the two of you, in intimate situations, agreeing at the start it's not going to end in sex. Give each other massages, naked, take showers together, cuddle together, do all the things that bring you intimacy. You will find this is going to be difficult to do because it's not, it's not sex you're uh, having a problem with. It's intimacy. Sex is the ultimate in intimacy when you do it with someone you love. And it, it is true. A lot of people have this problem that, that when they approach the woman they really like, that's the, the, the time they turn off inside. So that, that's my advice would be to get, get help, find out what this trauma is, find out what gummed you up the works. But in the meantime, try non-sexual naked Congress with your wife, uh, to intimate. Have a good time, play around, uh, but it doesn't have to end in sex. It, you can agree at the outset. It's not going to end in sex. Uh, and, and practice intimacy with her because you gotta, you gotta get past that mental block. Um, this is from another Drew. He says, I want to start off by saying that I'm not part of any formal religion, but after reading your book, The Great Good Thing, I've spent a lot of time searching for a logical pathway to God. Uh, recently, I've been thinking about the division of science and religion, and it seems to me that the two disciplines aren't mutually exclusive. Uh, and he goes on to say, I don't know if there's a true physical evidence of God, but I don't think scientific advancement automatically disproves God's existence in any way. The scientific opposition to God is obsolete. It grows out of a uh, Newton. Most all of the people who created science were believers. Every single one of them, including Newton, um, they were all believers. The the myth that science and religion are at odds is a myth that grew up. It was purposely put forward. Several books were written about it in the 19th century, but it, it's just not true. The myth grew out of an of, of a godly understanding of the world. It's obs- I say it's obsolete because after Newton sort of revealed that God didn't have to like kind of move the stars around, they moved by natural forces, that there were natural forces in the world that could be figured out, people extrapolated, they generalized from that point to think that, oh, everything's going to turn out to be a, this kind of clockwork world. It's just going to be this caused that and this caused that. And maybe God created something at the beginning, but then he walked away as the absconded God that was called. Uh, and most people just say, no, there's just there's some other way that things came to be. That has turned out not to be true. And as we go forward, we start to find some really, really weird stuff about the world. First of all, we find out it is balanced on a knife point. The the unlikeliness of a world that would create life and a life that could perceive and understand it is is mind-boggling. The fact that this could happen is absolutely mind-boggling. And scientists are beginning to say this. You know, it's always it's always the average people who get hurt, right? Because the average people are the last people to find out that scientists, uh, some scientists, don't believe this anymore. Uh, we have started to find that consciousness uh, observation defines reality, which means that consciousness precedes reality, which is all Genesis is saying, right? That there was a consciousness, and the consciousness said, "Let there be creation." So. If you find out about the science, I, like I said, I'm reading a book about this now. I'll have the guest on. Maybe next week he's coming on and we'll talk about, about it more. He'll have more details because he's an actual scientist. But the, the idea that science is in opposition to the existence of God is obsolete. It no longer holds. 
scientists are scrambling, atheist scientists are scrambling, inventing crazy things like the multiverse to explain how things got this way. Well, there's a million universes and this one just happens to be the one that looks like it was created by a gigantic invisible Jew. Uh, you know, all of that stuff, all of that stuff is out of date. Uh, there's no conflict between science and true religion, true science and true religion. And with that, I've got to stop. We'll talk more about all this next week. But you won't be here because it's the Clavenless Week. You will be destroyed. Uh, you'll be crushed by despair, darkness, wailing, gnashing of teeth, the usual stuff. But those of you who make it through next Friday, I will be back with The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode and want to spread the word, give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, basically wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, remember to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Walsh Show, and The Michael Knoll Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Claven Show is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vidowski. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Lead audio mixer, Mike Cormina. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production coordinator, McKenna Waters. And our production assistant is Jacob Falash. The Andrew Claven Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. President Biden attempts one of the most tyrannical power grabs in the history of the presidency, the left comes to the defense of a death row inmate, claiming that pro-lifers are hypocrites if they don't do the same. And finally, a woman says she's the victim of fat phobia and racism because she was kicked off a plane for not wearing a shirt. We'll try to sort through that important controversy and so much more today on The Matt Walsh Show.